Welcome to this episode of the UK Sports Chat podcast. I'm Joe Williams and in today's episode I am speaking with professional ultra runner Paul Giblin. Paul is part of the Compress Sport team. He has medalled at world level with Great Britain and on the road and in the mountains. His list of successes is long. He's competed in some amazing races such as the Western States 100 and the Barclay Marathons. Paul is also a coach and we had a good chat about the journey he's taken over the last 12 plus years to become an elite runner and coach. Enjoy this episode. Please give us any feedback via our social channels and see you next week. Morning, Paul. Morning, Joe. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, mate. How are you? I'm all right. The sun is shining this morning, so blue skies makes a change. It's nice. It's, yeah, it is here as well. It's, it's really nice. Whereabouts are you? Uh, I'm in Scotland at the moment. Um, I normally live in Chamonix, uh, but I came back for Christmas for 10 days uh, just to see some friends and family at Christmas time. And then I got stuck here in a lockdown. So I've been super unlucky in the last 12 months. I've hit every lockdown possible. Um, oh. <laughs> I was actually, I was in the US when the pandemic hit. So I got stuck there for a few weeks and then I managed to get back, but I couldn't get back to France. So I was stuck in Scotland for six months. And then when I got back over to France, I went into another lockdown and all that so yeah it's been a it's been a bit of frustrate frustrating time really yes I, I, when did you um move to Chamonix how long have you been out there uh, about two or three years um I've been going to Chamonix pretty regularly for I don't know maybe eight to ten years um, mostly around the UTMB race um, so after the first couple of years of doing those races, um, I started going out in the summertime much earlier so I could spend some time in the mountains training and then it kind of extended from there. Then I wanted to be there in winter so I could ski and then maybe about two or three years ago I kind of moved over there full time. But before that, I was I kind of travel a lot to races before pandemic. It's hard to remember times before the pandemic now. but um, So I wasn't there all the time, but I would kind of try and base myself there. So, yeah, I'd actually just moved um, October time to a different apartment, uh, but I haven't been there very much, obviously, because I got stuck here. So um, I'm not sure when I'm going to get back, but I'm trying to make the best of it. I don't live in the worst place in the world. In Scotland, there's some great mountains and uh, some good places to run. So, yeah, trying to make the best of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, yeah, the same's bless skiing and running in the mountains. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's more complicated now because of the whole Brexit thing as well. But um, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a great place to be. Cool. Okay, so give, give us um, give us an intro to yourself and uh, yeah. Um. I guess that's always a tricky one. You know, do you talk about things you've accomplished? Do you talk about your career or stuff? But um, I, I've been running for maybe 12 years or something. I wasn't a runner before that. It's not like, you know, I, I ran when I was a teenager very much or um, I had some kind of, I've been doing this all my life. I haven't at all. Um I used to race mountain bikes when I was a kid, really, when I was a teenager. Um, I raced for a number of years. I loved mountain bikes. I loved being out in the wild and um, having a good time on bikes. And then I go to university. The usual things happen. You get into other things. I was into music and drinking and having fun and uh, coming out of university um, I ended up working for some big advertising agencies in London uh, I lived in London for about six years maybe 
partied a lot, worked hard, played hard, didn't really think about exercise all that much, if I'm honest. Um, and then I moved back up to Scotland. And then at some point, I just felt like for the first time, I felt like I was really unfit and, and maybe unhealthy. And it wasn't bad. I didn't have a terrible lifestyle. Um, and I just started going to the gym, really. I thought, I need to do something about this. And I, I started quite enjoying going to the gym. I ran on the treadmill, like most people do, maybe 10-minute warm-up and then 10 minutes after I'd done some weights or whatever. Um, and I quite enjoyed that part of it. So eventually, started running outside, and I just kind of got hooked on it very quickly. Um, just really enjoyed that feeling of being outside and the wind in your face and moving. Um and I got like into that quite quickly, really. Uh, and then I signed up for maybe a couple of 10K, like city 10K races, uh, just kind of local things. And I quite enjoyed them. I, I quite enjoyed having that target of, right, that race is on that date. I'm going to try my best to do some training and get fit for that race and see what happens. I had no idea about what was a good time, what wasn't a good time, how you would pace anything, nothing like that at all. I just went into them and I had fun. Um, and then... I just came across something on the internet one day and it was a, an ultra, which I'd never heard about before. And I just couldn't believe there was this whole scene happening that I had no awareness of at points. And there was people running 50 miles or 100 miles on these trails through the mountains. And it kind of connected me a wee bit to what I enjoyed about mountain biking. And I thought, I can't yes. believe people are doing this. So I just wanted to find out more straight away. So I did a bit of digging and I found a race. It's quite a big race in Scotland um, that a lot of people maybe do as their first one or two races. It was the Highland Fling. Um, so it's really the first half of the West Highland Way route. Uh, I signed up for that straight away. I had no idea. And it was back before you could even sign up online. You had to, you know, write a check and yeah. <laughs> stick it in an envelope. It was like you weren't sure if you were going to get a place or not and you weren't sure how you were going to be communicated to. So I signed up for that. Um, and then I thought, right, okay, what am I going to do to get ready for this? At that point, I hadn't run a half marathon. I hadn't run a marathon. Um, and I had to figure out a way to try and get ready for this. 53 mile race um so i signed up for another ultra before it uh it's the b33 it's a smaller race uh, up north in aberdeen um, and it's like a, a kind of road race you go out for 16 miles turn around and come back again it's a pretty straightforward race so that would be the longest i'd ever done um, and i hadn't still hadn't run a marathon in training at that point um so i, I did my training i went out on and i did that race and i learned a lot and i had no idea what i was doing at all like absolutely clueless i, I, I didn't know if i had enough time to stop and do the toilet and stuff it was just all brand new to me but i was yeah. i was excited and I, I did the normal thing I, I ran out probably way faster than i had the ability to do and maintain certainly and and to finish was a real struggle to finish it felt like i achieved something uh, fairly significant i don't know yeah. where i was in terms of uh finishing points or anything at all but uh, it was a really great experience and i was really excited then about being able to run longer i signed up for another race in between before this fling race that i'd, that I'd signed up as the first one um, and that was a little bit longer um i think that was a cataran maybe um and i ended up winning this race it was a 55 mile race or something um so i must have got something right in my training at that point um, so, and but, so how many races had you done up to that point I think that was my second race. I'm pretty sure that was my second race. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it probably wasn't a, a super competitive field, but there was some experienced guys doing it at the time. Like, I, I seriously didn't know what I was doing at that point at all. I didn't know how to fuel for the race. I didn't know how to pace anything. I didn't know what kit to wear or anything at all. It's quite a steep learning curve when you get into ultra running. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, I did the Highland Fling, or I can't remember. Maybe they were slightly different order or something. I did the Highland Fling anyway. Um, And then uh, that race that I'd won, um, they were quite close to the organisers of the West Highland Way race at that point. And they said that was the one that I'd really dreamt about. Um, So doing my research around ultras, I'd I'd realised that uh, there was this race every year. It was a West Highland Way race. um, And it started, I I, kind of connected with the story of that race. It was probably one of the first long distance ultras in the UK. It was on a great course. It was kind of on my doorstep. Uh, My mum and dad knew the guy who first started the race. I first did it. It was two guys that kind of had a bet with each other to see who could, if they could run this hundred mile uh, trail, I think ninety five miles maybe at the time, um, yeah. to see to see who could finish it first. So I kind of connected with that story, and I got really obsessed by that race. So they allowed me to get an entry uh, when I probably wasn't really ready for it, and it's a wee bit more difficult to get entries these days, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that first season of me doing my first ultra, I, I went straight into doing a hundred miler, which is not the way to go. It's not a recommendation I've ever <laughs> said to anyone. And like, I, if you if you think I didn't know what I was doing on the short, shorter ultras, I had no idea what I was doing in a hundred mile race um, <laughs> because you've got maybe got crew involved and you really have to look after yourself and you really have to fuel things properly. And I had no idea what I was doing at all, but I finished that race and it felt amazing. It felt like a huge achievement for me. I think it was maybe sixth or seventh or something maybe in my first one. And that was me. I just got the bug for the West Highland Way race and I knew I had to go back there and I knew I really wanted to win that race. So um, it was something that just captured my attention really um, and my imagination. And I just wanted to be part of that whole scene really. So so how like, I'm, I'm guessing you were, from, from what you were saying then, you're mid to late 20s then when you started running. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so you... And this was twelve years ago. So, so within that second or third race, then how, how long had you been running? Then uh, I'd been running less than a year, certainly. Um, I'd been doing some stuff, like I said, in the gym on a treadmill, but nothing significant. I probably wasn't going beyond you know eight kilometers on a treadmill at any point. And then I'd started being outdoors, so I was doing like ten k runs fairly regularly. I did a couple of training sessions that I wanted to push it. I remember doing my first marathon distance i'd never i'd never run a, a proper marathon at that point but i decided i wanted to do that in training at least i had to be able to run a marathon before i could run anything beyond that 50k or something um, and i remember coming out of the back of that that training run and i was crippled i could i could walk for days virtually i'm thinking wow this is something like really significant and i'm not saying that running a marathon isn't significant now i mean it's a huge thing for a lot of people um yeah. but amazing how your body adapts eventually that you know a marathon at the moment for anybody who's really committed to running ultras to run a marathon is probably a relatively short training run at a weekend and um, mm-hmm. but at the time when you've never done it before um, it's a huge thing and i i, I felt that buzz afterwards i felt like i'd really achieved something as well as suffering legs and unable to walk downstairs <laughs> yeah, yeah going down backwards yeah exactly um, so so the west highland way like you said that was 95 mile at the time so you've gone into that 100 miler yeah um 
So you, you you went back the following year, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I ended up doing five in a row. Um, okay. uh, so the first two were really good learning processes for me, really. The first one was just brand new. So uh, at that point, you just don't know that you can complete the distance. And it's actually quite... Um, I try to say this to some of the athletes that I coach when they haven't run that kind of distance before. It's actually a really magical time because you just don't know what's going to go on. Everything's new. Your mind and body, that whole connection is mm-hmm. is testing itself for the first time um, when you're going that kind of distance. So it's actually like a really special time. You don't realize at the time because you're, you're having to work hard and you're suffering and you're questioning yourself and everything as well. But um, it, it was really a magical time for me. And then the second year I did it, I was a wee bit more clued up in terms of what I needed to do in order to have a good performance. So I think I finished second in that year. Um, The guy that won it was a super strong runner at the time, and I was kind of in awe of him a little bit. And then I I got through the second one, and then I thought I I had this kind of moment or this conscious decision-making point in my mind to say, I'm going to win this West Highland Way race, and I'm going to break the course record. And... I'm I'm not that type of person. I'm not normally the type of person who will be kind of bold in those statements sometimes. And actually, I verbalized it. I spoke to my mum and dad at the time and I said, I'm going to break the course record in it. And people, yeah. they, they kind of looked at me like, oh, that's great, son. Very good. But they probably, I could I could sense from them, they were thinking he's maybe been a wee bit over ambitious here. Um, and by the third one, that was the first time I, I won the race and I, I took a fair chunk off the course record at the time. And yeah. I, I don't think I've ever run, even since, a race with such determination and focus and I knew I was going to do it on that day um, I don't know why I don't know where it came from but um, yeah so I, I I was focused enough that I wanted to go back the second time after that and I went back a third time um, and I managed to win another twice and break the course record twice again after that so yeah it was yeah. a really spe- special race for me really it was the second time that you took you took quite a chunk off it, didn't you? Is that was it? The yeah, second yeah, yeah. the the second the second win, um, we had we had like a, a good reason for it. We had um, another guy running who was quite open about it in social media that he was coming up to win the race and he was coming up to break the course record and he had a good pedigree and he was quite. Um, mouthy about it so i guess that kind of riled me up and when you've got really strong competition like that then you can generally get a a big performance out of either me or he was going to have a good performance and uh, we kind of battled it out for a lot of that race which which helped in terms of the overall time yeah yeah so just so for for listeners we're talking i think it was it was just over 15 hours and then you took that down to fourteen twenty, and then you beat it again to fourteen fourteen the year after. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, I think that was it. Um, and actually, the third one, the third one was really tough. I, I ended up, I ended up being on my own for quite a lot of that race, and and not comfortable, but comfortable in that I, I didn't feel threatened that I was going to lose the lead in that race. So it's actually really difficult to keep on pushing and just racing a clock because you never win against a clock you know it's not like um you can sense somebody's slowing or somebody's catching you and you can push it a certain bit the, the clock just keeps on going so that was a, that was quite a tough one and for a chunk of that race i thought i wasn't going to get close to the record so it was really only in the last maybe 25 miles that i was really having to work hard to try and chase it down and and that, that's quite a hard thing to do yeah so you've gone 
you know, from somebody who just you 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 mountain biking, you got into running, you enjoyed it, you liked the bars, and like, and then it's quite rapidly progressed to like you say, you making these bold statements and wanting to win races. So what? what how did you change your approach? And what were those, you, you spoke about learning things from from your early races? What what d- describe to us how what your training looked like and how it changed from you know before you ran that race to to three years winning it. Yeah, I, I think it was it was it was more challenging in those days in that there wasn't the same level of coaching available. There wasn't the same level of really uh, scientific or well proven information about how to run an ultra really well. And um, so it was like you were scouring old books and old race reports. You spent a lot of time reading blogs and trying to find different pieces of information about how people fueled things and what they did and there was loads of like really wacky stuff now when i look back at the time it was you know you you could go from extremes at people that were saying oh you have to be running 200 miles a week is the only way to do it or you know or people doing these massive back-to-back runs and that's the only way you can possibly run a fast 100 miler is if you do 50 miles on a saturday and then you do 40 miles on a sunday and like just crazy things i would never recommend now so you had to really um, spend time researching stuff which was a big part of the enjoyment factor for me so it was trying things out in training and, and going out every day and saying well, well there's a session that I found from some American ultra runner who who recommends a session I would go and try it and, and see how I felt after it um, I guess in some ways like I definitely wouldn't recommend it in that first year of me racing um, I did seven ultras I think I think I was signed up for eight I, I missed one because I was sick um, which is way too many right but actually I was just gathering information the whole time so I was learning on the job as, as I went and then I think after that I maybe started to back off and be a wee bit more strategic about the races that I wanted to do so I, I, I get it a lot as a coach so somebody will come in and say um, I want to do this 100 miler in June it's my focus race I want to do really well in it um, and just so you know I've also signed up to a 50 miler three weeks before do you think that's a good thing to do and I'm like well first of all it depends on what your goals are for the race if you really really want to perform at your best running a 50 miler or racing a 50 miler three weeks before you go into a 100 miler it's not going to put you in the best possible position to do that if mm-hmm. your if your goal is just to finish both races then fine you can do that um so i i started to be smarter about things that i it became it became part of who i was and my lifestyle more than just a hobby right so i like i committed to doing things i committed to going to bed early i committed my diet to eat properly and eat things that were going to help me train better um, and yeah. I, I i did all the extra stuff around my running like all the mobility stuff and looking after your body and stretching and all those mm-hmm. kind of things make a big difference and it becomes part of who you are and part of your lifestyle and i think that was yeah. the big the big change for me really yeah, that's and that's a you know you've touched on a really important point there because um, I I was I was playing football with my son yesterday and I, and I made this point to him I said um, he's sixteen he's going up to college and he wants to keep playing football mm-hmm. said, you're at that age now where you need to yeah. start looking after yourself yeah. you need to be stretching you're not eight nine ten anymore where you can just run around you need to be stretching you need to be doing bits of strength work and and this is something that um, runners are, are quite guilty of. Um, overall is just just running and not doing those extra bits that you're talking about so it sounds like you really immersed yourself in in everything 
I think I think it's the only way to do it if 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 you really want to get the best out of yourself. I think there's a lot of untapped potential in people. All of us carry that about, and I know some people maybe doubt it more than others. And like I'm talking here, I'm not I'm not particularly gifted runner or anything. You know, it's not like I'm I'm some genetic freak that I've got this massive VO two max or something that I just I have this super talent for running. I'm not. I, I don't think I am. I think I've really committed to it, and that's the difference. I I became somewhat obsessed by it, I suppose. But everything I do is centered around my running. So I I stopped drinking for example um i was in a relationship quite early on and it didn't actually really fit with my relationship and at the time and that broke down so then i was able to fully commit to doing the thing that i really love doing and that is things like changing all those not so good habits that you have in your normal lifestyle and and actually asking questions about well why is it i feel the need that i have to have a glass of wine at night to de-stress is there something else that's going on in my life um, that's causing that or or makes me turn to that and is there something else i could do to replace that so those were the kind of things i was doing i was doing more mobility then and you know eating well and trying different foods so that i could wake up feeling fresh after a 20 mile run and stuff like that so um i, I think that's quite interesting it's great for me see uh, as a coach see like it's great when you get people onto a podium or or athletes finish you know a run that they didn't think they could do or they finish their first 50 mile or whatever that's all great but see when you actually have a relationship with athletes and you see how it's affecting their life in a positive way them and their family so they're going from um maybe having some of these bad habits to doing better things with their lives you know they're spending more time outdoors they're getting their kids and their families involved outdoors and they're doing things together and their families are turning up to support them on races and they're all getting involved with it that's that's like really rewarding to me as a coach when it starts to have an impact on their lifestyle a positive impact on their lifestyle yeah brilliant that's really really interesting to hear so you've um you've run some uh, amazing races i know you've run western states three times and finished in the top 10 there and barclay marathons and you know there's a there's a list on your power yeah yeah um, have you have you got a, have you got a favorite uh i i struggle with favorites they're they're in some ways they're all favorites for different reasons so western states uh I, I, when I went through my whole uh, West Island Way thing, um, I became aware of Western States. It's the oldest 100 miler in the world. It has like a really interesting, compelling backstory for me. And similar to the West Island Way, I really connect with something that feels authentic and genuine and where it's run from and the backstory. It used to be like a long distance horse race. I don't know if you know much about Western States, but, um, and it goes through some amazing countryside uh, in Northern California. It starts from Squaw Valley, just out in Lake Tahoe and goes down, um, through some huge canyons and stuff where they used to mine for gold and all that stuff. So it's really, really interesting backstory. So I really connected with that. I wanted to do it. Um, and because of my success at the West Island Way Race and through a few connections, it's a very difficult race to get into. Uh, I managed to get a place one year and I went out there and spent a lot of time in Tahoe and hanging out with people there. I made some really good friends and I went back and I think I've done four West, uh, Western States in the end. Um, it's just a, it's just a magical race. Um, it's, it's one of the most exciting ultras in the world. It's actually relatively small in terms of the number of participants each year. They keep it to under 400. Um, yeah. But it's like it's like one of the premier 
uh, ultras you can do in the world and uh, it's just got this like really good feel when you're in the race super exciting um the crews and the aid stations are amazing and you just feel like you're part of something really special for me it's kind of like getting to an olympic games for me western states maybe utmb are are, are the kind of pinnacles of of racing uh, 100 mile races for me anyway yeah cool how do you um how do you manage when you're in those races your your mindset so you've just described western states obviously so that you know that's a hundred miler through canyons etc that's it's uh it's a very tough race isn't it yeah, how, yeah. How, how do you what, what's your kind of mental techniques that you, you use when you're racing uh, i think I think you need to be really clear first of all, and I think people get found out quite quickly. Uh, if you're just if you're just doing a race to tick it off, or because you think you should do a race, or it's just an easy one for you to do from a practical sense, then then you can struggle. When it gets really tough, you struggle when you don't have a clear reason why you're doing it. And I think that's really important. And and that's why I tend to go to races that I'm really, I feel a real strong connection with, like the West Thailand Way Race, like Western States, where I, where I feel like I want to be part of that story. And I want to be able to, in some way, contribute to the story of that race. Um, so that makes a big difference when, you're, when you start off. So that helps you be much more committed to your training and it helps you to really force you to understand what the requirements of any race are and what what the main limiters of any race are, are going to be so western states is kind of unique and it's 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 quite a warm it's quite a hot race so you start early morning you start um quite high up already you're um you start from squaw valley so you're already kind of at altitude and you climb straight away you've got three thousand feet to climb um right from the gun really and um, so it's cold at the start um, you've got snow to deal with usually at the start and maybe for the first 10 or 20 miles and then uh, you run at altitude for a period so that's a particular limiter maybe for some if you've got no experience of running at altitude and then you've got the heat to deal with for a good for 10 to 12 hours it gets really hot it can be like 40 degrees sometimes at western states and that's one limiter that you just can't ignore is the heat so there's certain things you can do in a race mentally and there's things you can do to prepare for that so when you've already bought into the race and you've got a strong connection and you understand why you want to do it and why you want to achieve and why you want to finish or race well uh, it makes such a difference in your preparation because you actually you do the work to make sure you're as prepared as you can be. And I think that's the starting point that I would suggest to most people is like try and have a, an emotional connection to the races. Understand why it is you really want to do it. And it's not not every race you're going to do is you're absolutely connected to it, but some of the races you'll do are building towards a result in a future race. And that's okay too, because you've got a good reason to be doing that. So there's lots of things you can do when you're actually in the race itself, you know, is just break the race down like a hundred mile race or a 200 mile race it's quite hard to um even when you're maybe i don't know 30 or 40 miles into a 100 mile race you're thinking i've still got a long way to go here you just need to break it into chunks really and just focus on the next aid station and think right okay i'm going to get myself to the next aid station then i'm going to make a call from there what i find a lot of people do in these longer races is they maybe don't write any kind of race plan um which I will always do for a big race. I think it's quite important when people do it. And that's breaking down the race into the, those 
chunks that I've talked about, and they're usually aid stations in a lot of these races anyway. Um, so there might be 10 miles, there might be 12 or 15 or sometimes only five miles between aid stations. So that's a useful checkpoint for you to say, am I getting there? Am I going too fast already and maybe pushing too hard? Or am I falling behind on what my projected plan uh, was? And it's okay if you are sometimes, but at least you can make a decision then about what you're going to do uh, in the next aid station. So there's always going to be times in an ultra that you're not going to feel that good and you're going to maybe struggle and you'll maybe start slowing either consciously or sometimes unconsciously you're slowing. And sometimes when you get to that point, it's a good wake-up call. And at that point, you can at least understand that you're maybe 10 or 15 minutes up or 10 or 15 minutes down. What am I going to do about it next? So when things start to go wrong, I try to... Um, consolidate my position almost to go right okay I've had a bad period there I've felt quite bad for an hour I've had a bad stomach I couldn't take any food on board or something or maybe I've been sick or I'm just not feeling that good today I'll try and not let it cloud every other decision I'm going to make in that race and and start on this kind of negative slope that oh this is a disaster I should never have come out today it's a bad thing to do and this is beyond me and those small voices of doubt we all have those in races and it's fine but if you start letting that become a bigger and a louder voice then your race can really slide so i'll use those points sometimes to say right okay i'm going to get myself to that aid station i don't feel that good i'm going to take a minute in that aid station i'm going to do some things small things any small thing that i can do to make myself feel better and it might be maybe you retie your shoes because there's been some discomfort in your feet or something or you fix the pack that's been rubbing slightly on your shoulder you have some food you have a drink and you go right okay i'm going to see how i feel now in this next section so breaking it down into small chunks is quite a good thing to do and then just trying to see it section by section and not look at the whole entirety of what you've still got left to do and then actually it's useful sometimes to to think back as well and think right okay so I'm, I don't have 100 miles to do now. I'm 25 miles in. I don't feel that great, but I've only got 75 to go. So if I break it down, I just need to do another marathon and then I'm halfway or I'm over halfway and, and just use some of those techniques to try and keep yourself moving. Love it. Love it. And that and that's applicable for any distance as well, really, isn't it? If, um, if you know, if some of our listeners aren't, aren't running, you know, long ultras, they, they can still use that same that same technique to prepare themselves going into races, break, break the race down, look at the course profile, um, look at what's the weather, et cetera, et cetera, and plan that so that they um, go into it better prepared. I think so. I think, I mean, even down to like trying to run a fast 10K, you're breaking it into those chunks, aren't you? You're breaking it down the first two kilometers of, of this 10K PB that I'm desperate to do. The first two kilometers are about trying to get to this point that you're feeling a relative level of comfort you're pushing hard but you're you're in control of things you know when you get to 5k you're already you know on the other side of the peak you're already heading down the way when you get to 8k maybe you're thinking right okay i've only got two more kilometers i know this is only going to take me less than 10 minutes i need to just be able to push hard for the 10 minutes so it kind of works in any distance it's just a wee bit more concentrated and it comes a bit more quickly uh, on the shorter stuff yeah cool so what what's your what's your plan for the next you know twelve months? Have you have you got a, a specific race that you're aiming for? Or it's been a bit tricky. Obviously, uh, mm-hmm. there's quite quite a few races have been cancelled. Uh, I was supposed to be back out at Barclay this year, which happened a few weeks ago, um, mm-hmm. 
I was also out in 2020. Um, I was actually out there and I'd spent maybe five or six weeks in the park just getting ready and training and uh, doing some navigation practice and stuff. And uh, the pandemic hit um, and the race was cancelled maybe six days before the race, which was pretty frustrating. So that's how I ended up being stuck in Tennessee for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was supposed to have a place this year but I just couldn't get out there, um, which was really frustrating to know the race was happening and I wasn't able to go out there. Um, so uh, this year, uh, I have plans to do the Tour de Giant. Uh, it's a big race in Italy, uh, which is uh, end of August, uh, early September. Um, instead of doing UTMB, I've been at UTMB for about eight years, maybe. Um, so mm-hmm. I wanted to do something different, something a bit longer. I've done a few longer races now and I've got a real kind of fascination and connection with them which is partly why I had been at Barclay because it's it's quite a long race albeit distance wise it probably isn't that long but um, you're definitely going to be out there for a good few days at a time so I've run a few 300 kilometer races uh, which I've really enjoyed that adventure side of things and being out for a couple of days just I don't know it's 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 something that I connect with and it makes me feel um, like I'm properly out on an adventure, which is quite important to me. Um, so I've, I've definitely uh, would like to do some longer races. The Tour is quite a long race. I think it's 330 kilometres. It's got a huge amount of ascent and descent. So um, that's going to definitely challenge me uh, more than I've been challenged in some other races. And um, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do before that. I've got an FKT um challenge in the next few weeks i'm hoping to pull together uh, with a friend that i'll do in scotland before i head back to france um which i really need it's been i think i've raced for uh maybe 18 months or something and it's hard it's hard i i, I don't i don't run just to race I, I would run anyway but um to not have that really clear focus of a race has been hard for me because it's been a big part of my life for uh, the last 10 years of knowing where I'm going to be in the world and what race I'm going to be focused on and what specific training I'm doing. So um, I'm, I'll hopefully get a summer race in as well, but I'm not sure what that's going to be yet. Yeah. Okay. So t- t- you've, you've mentioned, you've touched on that, that you're coaching as well now. So t- tell us about your... um. When did you start coaching? And tell us about your coaching and, and Pylon as well, please. Yeah, um, I started the coaching side of things back in 2014. Um, so it's been quite a long time now. Um, and back then, I really ended up with just a couple of clients who trusted me enough based on uh, my good race results to uh, allow me to help them with their training. And then we've really grown organically since then. Um, I've worked with loads of athletes at all different levels, um, from people who are quite new to the sport um, to people who were already performing and winning races really well. And we've helped them to go on and be called up to have GB vests and run you know 24 hour races for great britain stuff so um it's it's been amazing we work with athletes all over the world um it's mostly kind of online remote coaching um so we write plans for people and then we build relationships with people mostly online uh, and help them just to um reach their goals really so we've now got a coaching team of five of us um and we coach a lot of athletes now um we've predominantly been ultra focused 
um, has been the biggest part of things. But we actually want to reach more people now and we think we can help more people. Um, So we launched a product this year, which is like a monthly product Uh, at the moment, the Ultra um, product. It's not just for people running Ultras, but um, as a weekly program. So we write week to week for people um, and we'll react to how well they performed in the week before, before we write their new plan and stuff. Um, We've launched a monthly product program for people and that can be anybody who's maybe wanting to run a fast half marathon or a marathon really and they don't maybe need a coach to speak to every week um so we'll do that monthly with them instead and give them a month's plan so that's been really good it just allows us to to reach more people and talk to more people and try and support more people because it's all about i think some people just need some belief sometimes and if you can have one person who's supportive of of your goals and supportive of your dreams and it can make such a difference and you don't always get that at home and you can have a great partner and great family and friends and stuff but um they don't always connect with your why or why you want to run or why you want to get a you know a fast 10k pb or why you want to do london marathon and that's that's the role that we can fill you know because we really understand why people want to do that and we want to try and bring out that potential that they have inside them um so yeah, it's it's been a really great experience for us. We've actually got like a really amazing community now um, of athletes who are actually, are currently working with us, or some that have maybe left, but they're still connected to us. Um, so we do we do some meetups. Um, we also put on some events. So we've had a few um, residential training camps, and they're just amazing experiences um, for us that are putting them on, as well as the people that come there. And we normally have like a weekend. We're supposed to have one this year, obviously, but it's been cancelled uh, or postponed until the end of the year. But we get a bunch of people together. We go somewhere nice like the Lake District or somewhere nice in Scotland. We spend a weekend together eating and running and talking about running and talking about why we do things and adventure. And we have a, a lot of fun along the way as well. So that's been great. And we've also... um we're putting on a race this year as well. It's a virtual race, but it's called Exposure and it's happening uh, next weekend on the 24th. And uh, there's been a lot of virtual races about and and for good reason. And it's given some people um, some focus, particularly last year in lockdown when, yeah. when none of us could race, uh, which was good. But they tended to be this kind of run 50 miles in a week and let us know when you've run it and we'll send you a medal and a T-shirt. And we thought if we were going to do something and it had to have a kind of live race experience was important for us. And it, it had to be genuinely challenging as well. So basically we've got the race is going to be split into six, 12 or 24 hour exposures so they'll okay. be, if you if you sign up for the 12 hour there'll be 12 one hour exposures so we'll basically tell you at the start of that hour you won't know what distance you have to run we'll send you a text message to say in this exposure you have to run three miles so you go out and run three miles you'll come back and you'll wait for the next exposure and if you don't make it and you're not quick enough maybe you get a six mile exposure and you're too tired then you'll be out of the race um so you really need to uh, be comfortable cool. being uncomfortable and you need to surrender to it a little bit and it's a genuinely challenging experience so we've got a six hour a 12 hour and a 24 hour the six hours great if you've never run an ultra before maybe because you're probably going to have to run 50 kilometers over that six hour period we've got the 12 hour you're probably going to be around the 50 mile mark and if you're brave enough to take on the 24 then you're going to have to be able to run probably 100 miles in that 24 hour period but it'll be broken down into those one hour segments um so it should be a lot of fun um the fastest cumulative time overall will win 
Some people will not be doing it for a win. They'll just be doing it to see if they can survive for 12 hours or 24 hours. So um, it should be a lot yeah. of fun. That's great. It's um, it, it's You're right. I, I completely agree that um, virtuals have helped people a lot because you spoke about having something to aim for. You know, you're missing yeah. that yeah. connection to the race. And that has given people it over the last 12 months. I agree. Um, it's um, And it's great to see how they've also evolved because this is a – completely new concept that you're talking about here it's really it's you know people have got creative with it um which, which is great really good yeah um, do you have um we, we all like a bit of shoe porn don't we Ross Connors. <laughs> do you watch kit? What's your, uh, what, what's, your, what's your kit of choice have you got any um any favorites there or yeah, I mean, I've, I've been working with uh, Topo for maybe five or six years. Um, I, like, as any runner, when you get into running, you become obsessed with shoes. So um, I've gone through a lot of shoes in my time. Um, and then it was maybe five or six years ago, I had a conversation with Topo. Um, so they, it was the first time they came into the UK, the distributor here, um, the um got in touch and I'd done some work with them before to say we've got these shoes we've got some test shoes coming in do you want to try them and maybe come in and talk to us about them um so I went in and I met Tony Post who's a guy behind uh Topo in the first place I had a really good conversation with him really passionate guy um and kind of like <laughs> any any new ultra runner um way back um will read born to run and probably every runner reads born to run maybe but yeah. um it, yeah. it's it's one of those books that really gets you excited and motivated about running and uh, in there they talk about barefoot running and the five fingers and whatever and and tony was actually involved in that because he worked at virum before uh he started topo athletic and um, so he, he he gave us his shoes and went out and tried them and i really loved them and we had further conversations then so i've been running in nothing but topos since then really um and just the minute you put them on, I don't know what it is. I think they they say um, they're like a natural foot shape or something. I don't really know what that means, but it feels like that when you put them on uh, more than any other shoe I have in the past. And I don't know if it's to do with they've got like quite a wide toe box, not as wide as some of the other shoes, like the Ultras or whatever. Um, and they don't... Um, they're they're not like super close to your ankles and stuff either. So they feel really natural. Um, and I think most people that have managed to convince to, to try topos have all been the same. They're like, oh, wow, these, these feel really good. There's just something really nice about the feel. I guess early on for me, um, they had quite a small range, um, so they weren't always super suitable for some of the races that I did. It didn't stop me, but I ended up like doing UTMB and stuff and a pair of their trail shoes way back that maybe weren't suitable for such rugged terrain and uh, you, you know the shoes got kind of messed up a little bit but um now they've got a huge range they've got like a shoe for for every kind of terrain or, or um requirement that you have really they've got great fast um like for doing your fast intervals or doing fast stuff on the road they've got some really nice lightweight shoes zero drop um they're not all zero drop either now they used to be quite minimal but they've got different um kind of drops and shoes that work for different people and then they've got things like <clears throat> the mountain racer i think came out maybe a year or two ago which i've used at utmb a couple of times now so just a great mountain shoe it's got loads of great grip on it they teamed up with vibram i think in the last couple of years as well so they've got a bit more uh kind of grip and traction than they've had before as well and much more durable um with the outsole so that's been fantastic um they've yeah. got 
like shoes like the MT3, which are great for kind of hard pack, fast trails that you might get at um, Western States. And then they've just got like a really good range of shoes now. So um, I would hope to, I, I, I think I'll always use Topo shoes, whether I have a re- relationship with them or not. Um, so yeah, yeah, they've been really good. Cool. I met Tony at a conference. He was it, it, that, That's a really interesting story that not everybody knows over here yet. Is is exactly what you've just told. He was involved with Vibram and then yeah, and then and then started obviously Topo. It's um yeah they 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 get much more popular in the UK as well now, aren't they? Like you say, they seem to be. Yeah, we've I've got quite a lot of my guys are started wearing them and stuff as well. And I think. It's always difficult. It's, it's a difficult selling, I think, initially when you go, when you, you come into the market and you're maybe relatively minimal and people are unsure and they don't know the brands and people are quite brand loyal when it comes to shoes for a while. Um, yeah. So it, actually the task for them, I think, is just getting them onto people's feet because once you get them onto people's feet, they're like, oh, wow, these feel really good. Um, and that can make a big difference. So um, yeah, yeah, it's a really good brand and nice company it seems to be as well. Do you want to give any other brands a mention? I know you're supported by other brands as well. As well yeah, I mean, uh, I run for the Comprisport Trail Team, so I've been with them for maybe um, five years. Maybe um, I actually bought their stuff before I was involved with them. Um, when I first started, and I was doing some European races, they were a relatively big brand in Europe, and maybe less well known in in the UK, and they were really focused on like technical trail running stuff um they've now expanded the range you know they do a lot of triathlon stuff and they do um like a really great road running range as well but um they're just really passionate people i don't know if you've met any of those guys as well sylvan who's the owner he's like i think he's probably the head designer as well he's so passionate about design so passionate about the fabrics and he gets really really excited about the products so their products are not like they're not just churning out different colors every year they're actually making developments and they're using us as their athlete team to get feedback on stuff and they're talking to us about well what is it you really need and does that top work really well and what happens if it's windy can we change that product can we make it better and he's obsessed with making things better but making them lighter as well so um yeah it's a really interesting company to be working with um they've just got some really great kit now it's not it's never going to be super cheap kit. It's not cheap if you're wanting, you know, cheap stuff that you're going to run every day in and do all your um, training runs in, then it might not be the stuff. But if you really want to perform well and um, you want like the lightest and best performing kit, then it's, I don't think there's much that can, that can beat it at the moment, really. Cool. Okay. So what's your, um, what's your, Favorite non-running hobby? Then I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you're going to have anything the way you've described that you've managed. <laughs> <laughs> what what uh, do, you, do you do to chill out and you know away from running? Uh, I like to I like to ski in winter, but that becomes a form of training really. So um, I probably can't claim that one as a way to chill out sometimes. So um, I don't I don't just ride lifts and ski down all the time. I like to do um, skiing uphill and do some ski touring really, um, and then with that mind that i have it's it's never enough you know you want to be lighter and you want to be faster going uphill and you want to be faster in your transitions and stuff um so it's not always a way for me to switch off uh, I, I read a lot um i do some music production so whenever i get time i'm messing about with synths and making noises and and trying to put some tracks together and um, i do some 
YouTube stuff. I make some films about running and um, I do a lot of that kind of stuff. We've got a podcast as well. Um, and we talk about, it's not just about running, it's more about some of the issues that come up in life and how we can use running to better inform some of the decisions we make as we go through our lives and stuff. So that's quite a fun thing to do. Um, it's the Pylon Ultra Pod for anyone that's listening. Uh, give us a listen. Um, yeah, yeah give, and, give us, give us all your all your social and your website and that, so people if people want to connect with you and yeah, it's mostly you can find us at Pylon P Y L L O N, which is kind of the umbrella for the whole kind of coaching business and the events and me. Uh, we have Pylon Ultra as well now, which is really the the brand itself and my personal one's Pylon, but you're more than welcome to follow there or, or come along and check some stuff out. The podcast is the Pylon Ultra Pod. It's available on all the normal podcast players. Uh, we just put another episode out last night, actually, so that'll be available now. If anybody fancies listening to us on your long run, then uh, check it out after you've listened to this. Great. Paul, thanks ever so much for coming and chatting to me. I've really, really enjoyed it. You're, um, especially how you describe your, your connection with races. It's really, um, it's, uh, it's inspiring. It put, it really pulls you in. It was very, very interesting to hear. So thank, thanks for coming on. Um, no worries at all. Best of luck with your, um, with your future races and your coaching and everything. And, um, no worries at all. Hopefully I'll speak to you again soon, Joe.